This is it. The last stop on our course of mind. We've learned about the importance of psychosocial and physical safety, teacher efficacy, multimedia, recall practice, working memory, and other key findings from learning sciences. What's more, we've learned about the learning sciences themselves. We've tackled what we mean by the term learning sciences and how considering findings from research in the field can help us to improve our own classroom practice. In the primer that is this podcast, we've hit almost all the bases. Hi, I'm Shana White. I'm Zach Chase, and you're listening to Course of Mind. The Learning Sciences Podcast from ISTE. In this, our final episode, we bring you the second part of our conversation with Dr. Broer Saxberg for one last key learning. You may remember Broer is Vice President of Learning Sciences at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. In this conversation, we examine the potential implications to be found at the intersection of technology, learning sciences, and individualized instruction. How might technology help you better meet unique learner needs? How might it help us remove barriers to learning? What might all of this mean for the human element of learning and teaching? Welcome to Course of Mind. I wanted to go back to what you talked about with the usage of technology and it impacting um, not only kind of like that feedback loop, helping teachers uh, leverage technology to help provide students feedback like in a timely manner as they're working through, you know, math problems, whatever the case may be. And then you also mentioned um, with Zach as far as like it can help leverage as far as changing the location that I'm learning. So if I have like a handheld device, I might be able to sit on the floor instead of sitting at a desktop computer or whatever the case may be. How does that kind of impact agency for students? Because you're kind of empowering them to control their learning by giving them prompt feedback, giving them kind of autonomy as far as the location they're going to learn. And then does that agency impact their efficacy um, around a particular content area or subject? The basic starting point is what we talked about earlier, which is, uh, you know, getting sufficient practice and feedback, uh, running in working memory so that you begin to build uh, long-term memory uh, uh, of various skills and patterns and things that you can put there. So it it turns out you, you really have to be active. You have to make decisions. You have to try things, get feedback on them, and try them again in order for that process to work. So uh, it it doesn't have to be through technology. You know, it can be done without technology, but technology does absolutely provide uh, new ways to be helpful uh, in uh, uh, pursuing practice and feedback um, and can provide uh, extra help, extra feedback. It can customize the feedback it's giving. Um, It can, uh, with some kinds of feedback, it can do it quickly because it doesn't have to flow through a teacher before coming back to the student. Um, And there may be more of that as time goes on and technology gets more and more capable. Um, And then I think as you were maybe potentially suggesting, uh, you can even start to use technology in the field. You you bring uh, uh, laptops or iPhones or other technologies with you uh, on a field trip. And, you know, there will come a time when things like uh, augmented reality may allow students to have kind of customized views of a museum setting where each student is getting information that pushes them 
beyond their what's known as the zone of proximal development. But one student may have something much different than another student because of what the technology and the teachers already know are the capacities, interests, things that the student ha- you know, has already mastered. And wouldn't that be fascinating to have students be looking at the same events or looking at the same uh, natural scene uh, or, or you know, pond or, or plant and, and actually then being pushed in different ways based on how technology uh, helps them. It is very much what the best teachers have done for millennia, which is knowing a student and then challenging them uh, with what is uh, most valuable for them in the setting they're in. But it has not been scalable for so many students until perhaps now when technology in partnership with teachers uh, can actually be really uh, helpful that way. That last sentence uh, read it, it's kind of key because one of the main conversations that we hear, and and I have this conversation with a lot of teachers, a lot of different places, is they hear what you just described as giving the teacher role to technology. And I think even earlier on when you were talking about three of the, the, the technology can help create a, a more constant flow of information about students to teachers, that that piece feels a little bit like taking the human element out of, out of teaching. I don't think that's what you're saying, but I would anticipate some listeners would hear what you're saying and think, oh, so he wants to get rid of teachers. Uh, oh, so how do all. we, <laughs> again, I don't think that's what you're saying, but, but no. how do we find that, that line and how do we make sure that we bring teachers into that conversation? How do we make sure teachers have seats at that table to say, no, this is the part that is uniquely human. And, and so we don't do this. I'm, I'm thinking about if, I don't know if either of you are Star Trek fan, fans, but I'm thinking about where the Vulcan children go to learn and they're in their little hemispheres <laughs> and all the information is just coming at them and people are walking around with futuristic clipboards. That's, I think that is people's worst fear about what we're talking about right now. So, so the way I think about it is, is differently, which is I, I see no reason to reduce uh, the time that expert teachers are spending with classes and students, uh, maybe even the opposite, you know, trying to push that up. And, and, you know, those are the affordability questions. But when you ask, and, and what are those hours being spent on? Um, what would be powerful is to change what those hours are being spent on from kind of broadcast work, which can be done by technology, and but rather have the teacher spending those hours now on a specific diagnostic work, specific non-academic kinds of work, you know, work on identity, work on social and emotional skills, uh, modeling of various kinds, uh, uh, the, the conversations in detail around motivation, for example. I, I think teachers in classes today don't have enough time to be able to engage often with their students uh, in understanding their circumstances and what's happening. Um, uh, you know, and there are some you know really good models that are trying to do better at this, uh, especially out of the research on things like toxic stress, the idea that if you live in a, in, in a world in which your family and you are under stress a lot of the time, that the stress hormone cortisol literally blocks, you know, the, the, neural, the neural machinery of learning from working. It's a chemical problem. And so you really do need teachers to have the time to set up a safe environment that's welcoming 
to lower stress levels of students coming into it um, who may have high stress levels elsewhere, right? Well, so to get that time uh, to, to handle this wide array of work that only people can do, um, it's great to be able to have technology begin to take on what it can do and then provide information to teachers to help teachers know how it's going and whether to step in again uh, or not. And depending on the skill area and the, you know, the type of learning, you know, there may be more or less that technology can start to do. Uh, you know, some basic things around some fluencies, whether it's vocabulary or whether it's um, number facts and things, those are things that technology can probably give enough practice and feedback pretty quickly and, don't, and can free up teachers from a lot of that potentially. But as soon as you start to get into complex problem solving or writing, writing things out, then I think you really start to need the conversations with teachers uh, to, to help to have, and peers, to see divergent viewpoints, different ways of approaching the problems. How are those similar? How are those different? And all of that is mediated by trained teachers. And the challenge is, how do you get them enough time to be able to do that work? And it, yeah, okay. So that is, that is a helpful way of thinking about this. And I think part of it is you, what I hear you saying is we are going to have to shift just the use of teacher's time in the day. And that, and I would anticipate that letting go of some of those things that honestly don't require the most human aspects of a teacher is also going to be difficult because it's come to be a large piece of our identities. It's worth saying at this point, you know, this is going to sound silly, but we often forget that teachers have minds too. Right. And so everything we just talked about in terms of, you know, the cognitive architecture of what's in long-term memory, working memory, and then the motivational piece, you know, applies to teachers tackling new things too. And so we really do have to pay attention to, uh, as we, uh, you know, are bringing in new tools, new approaches and so forth, we really do have to pay attention teacher by teacher, you know, what's going to be in their way to start, persist, and put in mental effort. And, and be thoughtful about how we train, making sure we do provide enough practice and feedback, as well as enough uh, motivation uh, so that teachers can end up doing their best work and developing a new set of uh, skills and capacities uh, between long -term, their long-term memory and their working memory too. And I would argue an awful lot of professional development looks as if it assumes teachers are just like you know, recording devices and do not give enough space for teachers to really master these things and also to, you know, to, 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 to become motivated by conversations with others uh, like themselves that they can do this too. Well, this, what you're talking about uh, really ties almost exactly with one of our previous guests, uh, Dr. Vanessa Rodriguez out of NYU, uh, talking about uh, we have the conversation around student-centeredness, but if you put the student at the center, where is the teacher? And, mm. and so that whole thinking of let's, let's put nothing at the center, but think of all these other pieces as being interconnected. Um, so just a really fascinating way of saying there are roles for everybody and that those th pieces might, might be shifting as we kind of offload some of the pieces that to free teachers to do the work that we are often saying relating to your, to your previous kind of four pieces. Oh, I don't have enough time to learn how to do that with kids exactly. to say, Oh, but I'm going to give you that time 
by automating this thing that doesn't really require the the intense training and thinking that you're doing. What's kind of on the horizon um, as it relates to learning sciences that has you really excited? And then who are some really good people and maybe literature that we can point teachers in the directions of as far as reading some of these new exciting things that are coming on the horizon within learning sciences? I I think um, one of the areas that is really exciting and very important is, uh, and I mentioned it before, is this question of how do you handle stress in students in classrooms and what is the impact of that kind of stress uh, on, uh, on students and teachers? I mean, that's the other interesting thing. There's a, an example uh, out here in, the, uh, in California, um, a, a school called Roses in Concrete, um, that is helping teachers uh, deal with students that come in from high-stress environments. And one of the first things that they do is they actually work with the teachers first on their own stress levels because any, any of your listeners who are teachers in high-stress environments of students knows that that makes for, can make for a stressful environment for the teachers themselves. And so you really have to take care of teachers and give them the grace of recognizing that this is, this is a challenging performance uh, profession that they are in. Um, and so uh, thinking that through holistically, I think, is just really exciting. Um, another piece I think that is very exciting is the work on trying to follow uh, students over time uh, in multiple dimensions of development at once. So you are simultaneously following academic development, identity development, uh, things about their attention and their working memory and and how they understand learning uh, and, and social and emotional skills. And if you start to follow those over time, you can start to see if there are patterns in how all of that develops at once, rather than just, I'm looking for a pattern in today's, uh, uh, you know, math scores. I'm now looking for patterns in how does the development of math and the development of identity as a math using person, how do they coexist? What happens to them? So that notion of looking at multiple dimensions at once, it's complicated but I think it has some real prospects of uh, leading to some new ideas, new help for teachers and students uh, to, to make a difference. Um, I also think uh, uh, one of the areas that is still a ways off is just better information for everybody about uh, some of these non-academic uh, skills. Um, things like your identity and your social and emotional skills a lot of the measures we have now are kind of self-reports, and that's okay, but it's not great to repeatedly ask a kid the same question over and over again about their, their, their mental state or their emotional state or whatever. So we just need better ways to gather information um, about how everybody's doing so that teachers can wind up with the best possible picture of how the whole class is actually faring uh, on, these, uh, on these different dimensions. Um, and then I do think there's just going to be ongoing work over the long haul in using neuroscience, trying to understand how the brain works at a deep level, um, and beginning to use that to suggest uh, new ideas for interventions, for understanding how to help students um, that, that have not yet come out from some of the cognitive psychology work um, that looks at just how people behave and learn in controlled settings. So I think there, there's a range of really engaging neuroscience findings. 
Um, and then finally, I come back to professional development. Um, I think there is just a tremendous need to really up the ante uh, in terms of uh, in-service and pre-service training for teachers to understand more of what we spent the hour talking about. How does learning actually work? Uh, we haven't even tried to go down paths of what do we know about how to improve writing instruction? What do we know about early math? You know, there are now the reading wars are continuing. Well, what do we actually know the evidence says about reading, which has gotten a little bit of prominence uh, recently? So I think, you know, teachers, both pre-service, but especially in-service, we've got to figure out better ways for teachers to um, discover evidence-based solutions to some of their toughest learning problems and to have the practice and feedback they need to be able to really help the students uh, uh, succeed. If that is what is on the horizon, I'm enjoying looking at toward that sunrise. Uh, and I, I, one of the pieces that strikes me as a kind of overarching theme in in all of those pieces that you just mentioned is is the humanity of it. Um, and I think that right, just it, kind of in reference to my previous question, uh, that we're looking at learning sciences to not. Uh, better necessarily the machinery of learning, but to say, how can the machinery make make room for more humanity to those pieces? Um, totally agree. Uh, totally agree. And, I, and I don't think that that's a, I think that oftentimes we, we, we come at that question from a very fearful perspective. I think that when we talk about things like AI and machine learning, what we are worried about is a very much uh, the kind of the science fiction version of the machines taking over. Um, we're all waiting for our Skynet. This is the second science fiction reference I've made in this episode. I do apologize. Well, that's right. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a classical reference. It turns yes, out. Yes, please. It turns out, uh, uh, as I understand it, uh, Aristotle was incredibly annoyed with Plato about Plato's fascination with the new technology, the book, because Aristotle said, "Plato, you're going to destroy human memory." that that technology is going to stop people from being able to remember, you know, huge amounts of information. You've got to put that technology down. You've got to stop using it. Well, we know how it turned out. Yes, human memory is not what it was in the days of Aristotle. And yet that technology also enabled a whole range of other capacities and capabilities unimagined, arguably, by either Plato or Aristotle at the time. So this argument about is technology going to hurt learning or help learning has gone on for a really long time. And I like how you put it. The trick is to use the technology humanely and to focus it on how learning actually works and, and improving the learning experiences minds have through technology and people. I, Dr. Boris Axberg, this has been an absolute delight. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking some time to talk with us today. Thank you. It's, it's been a, a true pleasure. My pleasure. Taking the most impactful and effective practices of the best teachers to scale. Meeting students within the individual zones of proximal development. 
the future of learning, teaching, and science is still being written. What might the future mean for the human element of education? What do Dr. Saxper's ideas have you considering or wondering? How do we make sure teachers, researchers, and engineers are all at the table together in designing the future of learning? We want to hear from you. Share your thinking with us on Twitter at Course of Mind and let us know your thoughts and questions on the future of learning and the learning sciences. How do we marshal the best of what we know to help our students and teachers be the best versions of themselves? Also, find out more information and research on the topics each of our guests have spoken about on our website at courseofmind.org. Course of Mind is an ISTE podcast made possible in part by a grant from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, DAF, an advised fund of Silicon Valley's Community Foundation. Our producer is Kripa Sundar. Our editor and music maestro is Trevor Stout. You can find Shana on Twitter at Shana V. White, and you can find me at Mr. Chase. Kripa is at Kripa Sundar. And as always, for more information on how the learning sciences can inform your practice, check out the Course of Mind Twitter feed at Course of Mind and our website, courseofmind.org, where you can learn about how other educators have applied learning sciences in the classroom and learn what we're learning. 